Hi, welcome to Light Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno, and this is the podcast where we talk with authors who write books about Hollywood, television, movies, music, and the entertainment field in general. And I am speaking tonight with a very special guest. Her name is Shelley Herman. She has a new book out. It's published by Bear Manor Media, and it's called My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. Welcome, Shelley. I have been looking forward to this. Well, thank you very much. Now, Jules, the movie hound, may raise her ugly head here, but that's okay. We're just going to ignore her if she starts barking. And um, so, but you just got to put up with her. She's she's an 11-year-old, 12-year-old now, Vizsla. Ooh. Yeah. And she, uh, yeah, she will. That make, everybody make, make it clear it was the dog, not me. Right. <laughs> it was the dog, not, not, not Shelly or me. And she is, she is actually in charge of the show, I think. So, but anyway, Shelly, my peacock tail. Now this is, this book is full of stories about vaccines at, at, um, different TV shows and a lot of, a lot of, I would want to call juicy tidbits about what happened. Tell me, how did you land up, end up being a page for NBC? Well, I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. And um, I was also um, young at the time. I was 20 when I got the job and they had a very strict code about having to be 21 and already having at least a bachelor of science or a bachelor of arts degree before you could even enroll. But um I got in just after a, a, a strike, a NABIT strike. Uh, so all the camera people and such weren't working. And once they went back to work, it was summertime and they needed people to give tours around NBC Burbank. So um, I had a, a girls weekend in Vegas uh, where uh, we saw Elvis. Yeah. And um, Austin Butler was exactly what I saw when I saw Elvis in Vegas, that energy, the excitement, the, 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 the pandemonium that took place. Uh, so while all of my friends that I went with, we were all girls that worked at Sears and um, the two, the two Susans went off um, looking for boys. And then one of my other friends went off um, looking for a guy. And I was stuck with the girl who was the wallflower and I had never really chatted with her before when we worked at Sears and we got to know each other. And she happened to say, well, my mother's best friend works at NBC. Let me see what she can do for you. So while all my other friends, you know, were having a good time, you know, what didn't stay in Vegas was my career. <laughs> <laughs> and you got and you. I mean, that's what struck me about this uh, story is that the story that's in the book is that you just happened to take advantage of all the things that happened at the right time in your life. Well, I've always kind of been the person that would hang with the underdog. And um, I, I re it really galled me because this girl was the one who got us the tickets to see Elvis and everybody just dumped her. So, um, no, I, I, it, was, it was fun being with her. And I, I don't know where she is now, but she was a real sweet girl. You go into your book and let's, for those of you out there listening to this and you don't know what a page is, I'll let, I'll let Shelley explain what is a page. Well, 
the NBC Page program is probably the most prestigious entry level opportunity someone could have. Uh, the duties seem very simple at first. Um, in New York, you still give tours of the building as well as ushering TV shows like Saturday Night Live or Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyer. Uh, here on the West Coast, it's slightly different because when NBC was purchased several years ago by Universal and Comcast and you know whatever time it is now, they might be purchased by somebody again by the time this is on. Um, the duties here on the West Coast aren't doing the tours because Universal Studios handles those. Um, the, the people who become pages here on the West Coast are uh, assigned to a different uh, office at NBC Universal. So you might work three months at Bravo. You might work three months at USA. You might work three months in the press and publicity department. So it's not quite as fun as when I was a page, mm -hmm. uh, but it's still a great opportunity from what I understand from when I interviewed the, the woman in charge at uh, of the NBC page program in New York, 16,000 applications are received each year. And about 2% of those people get the job, making it easier to get into Harvard than it is to become an NBC page. <laughs> and there are strict rules that a page has to abide by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, um, sometimes you did and sometimes you didn't, right? <laughs> well, I've, I've always prided myself on, on what I call uh, putting on my Lucy Ricardo thinking cap because... Mm -hmm. I, I didn't always do things the way we were told to do, but I would do things that needed to be done. And as well as my colleagues that seemed appropriate at the time, because even though we're given certain guidelines of what to do, we're with um, very famous and celebrated people. And we have to think on the spot about what to do and what's best at any given time. Did I do anything illegal or immoral? Well, immoral's up for judgment, but nothing illegal. <laughs> <laughs> nothing illegal that that would that would hold up in court anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. I think there's a statute of limitations by now. I think I think we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> you but you worked on and and we're going to get to this in a, in a later a little bit later on. But I want to let people know that you were actually nominated for an Emmy also. Yes, thank for, you uh, for uh, for writing. Um, it was. Oh, again, one of those Lucy Ricardo thinking cap things is um, on on a show that I was working on, I um, I had a crush on somebody who was working on the show. And I figured I've got to get a job on the show because I'm sure that if I get a job on the show, then I'll meet this person and he'll fall in love with me and he'll marry me and we'll live happily ever after. And and it didn't work out. But um, I, I took the job not knowing how to use a computer and I went to my friend Paul Grimm's house and I said, teach me how to use a computer. And he had an old K-Pro. And we spent the whole weekend learning how to do all of this and saving and cutting and pasting and all of this stuff that was Greek to me. Got to the job on Monday morning and it was a completely different operating system. Oh, no. <laughs> so while all the big shots were in the other room trying to figure out how to make TV show magic, I was hunting and pecking my way through this computer you know, try to figure out how to do all this. So by the time all the big shots came out, I could type up their scripts and, 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 you know, make showbiz magic. Well, I went from that job 
to asking the producers right around Valentine's Day, hey, we need a not Valentine's Day, uh, Thanksgiving. And I said, we need a Thanksgiving Day script. And um, everybody's super busy. Nobody's even tried to write one. And I said, can I take a crack at doing it? Because I knew the script format better than anybody else because I was typing the scripts. And and the one thing you learn about showbiz, if you work for free, you can work all the time. So they said, sure, go ahead and write the script. It's a Thanksgiving show. Nobody's going to watch it anyway. Nobody cares. And uh, in between typing the script, I produced the show and they said, this is a great script. Let's go with it. We'll use it. And then when the head writer uh, didn't renew his contract, I said, can I interview for the job? And they said, okay. Again, I already knew how to do everything and I would be able to go right into the position. After that, a few more people left the show and I went from being the script typist who knew nothing except wanting to date a person on the show to becoming the head writer to getting an Emmy nomination. Amazing. And that's, <laughs> that is serendipity at its, at its utmost, I think, you know, so, but some of the people that you have met, um, and I really love some of the people um, because I always thought I was always hoping that some of these guys, or some of these men and women rather, would be nice. Like Gilder Radner was seems to be a very nice was a very nice person. What you saw was what you got. Um, genuine. I I guess that's the best word. And um, I don't know if we should tip the story in the book or not. But um, uh, when some of the pages. Um, got into trouble with something, Gilda came to their aid and helped them. I mean, yeah. not very many of the stars. She was the top star at the time on NBC. Right. I mean, Saturday Night Live was the hottest show on TV at the moment. At yeah. That time. And this was her first year, and she was just the breakout star. Her and I, and I've, got to, and I've got to tell you, too, this is the, the, the wonder of, like, what you're doing, doing this podcast, and you don't know who's going to hear this or where it's going to go or how it'll influence people. But I was working on this book and I was kind of just in isolation because of COVID. And I kind of figured out, you know, hey, we all may be dead soon. <laughs> what the heck? I'm going to just reach out to anybody I can and do anything I want. I saw Alan Zweibel's information on social media. And Alan wrote almost everything for Gilda. I don't know Alan Zweibel. I wrote him a little note. Hi, it's me. This is what I'm working on. There's a letter in the book that Gilda Radner wrote to one of the pages and it's her handwriting and it's a hysterical little note. And I said, Alan, I would really like to find out who handles Gilda's estate so that I can include this letter in the book because it's just so Gilda and so sweet. And five minutes later, he gives me Gilda's brother's private email address and 10 minutes later, I had a clearance that I could use the letter in the book. Oh, that's fantastic. That so you have, you, you have to put it out there. People, you have to ask. And what's somebody going to say? No, is no worse than nothing? Exactly. I mean, if you, if you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. Exactly. Exactly. And, and uh, oh, I got I to gotta talk about some of the people. Now, we talk about the nice people. Andy, Andy Kaufman was another nice guy. <laughs> eccentric, eccentric, <laughs> off the wall, perhaps, you know, uh, but yeah. 
it, it was funny because um, um, my family is Jewish. And when, when my mother hears um, uh, Shelly, Andy Kaufman is on the phone. <laughs> it's just, a, you know, a nice Jewish boy. And um, I, I don't even know if he was Jewish or not. The last name sounded Jewish. And um, you know, he would call. I was living at home still. I was still in college. I was still, you know, a baby considered next to everybody else. And um, and Andy and I became friends. And um, when I showed my mother Andy's appearance on Saturday Night Live, she was horrified. So she wasn't trying <laughs> to set me up with him after that. Thank um, you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. But what was funny is I remember Andy very clearly telling me that um, that he was going to do this sitcom for ABC and uh, he didn't want to do it. But, you know, his management wanted him to do it and, you know, it was going to be good money. But don't watch the show. It's not going to be funny. It's not going to be any good. And of course, that TV show was Taxi. Yes. And many years later, I married one of the cast members from the first season of Taxi, Randall Carver, who played John Burns. So I didn't see Taxi when it first came out because my friend Andy said not to watch it. <laughs> uh, but I, I've, I've since caught up to it. And um, and the Taxi family is still very, very much welcoming to to Randy. And, and we've socialized with them over these years. And it's just been lovely. You also, uh, we talk about the nice guys. Okay, let's talk about some of the, let's talk about some of the heels. Um, That's a good word. Uh, yeah. I love well, it. It's I mean, kind of a 40s gumshoe word, kind of like, yeah. the, you know, the heel. It's like a heel, you know, it's like, it's like, watch what you're doing there, Buster, you know? So, but um, McLean Stevenson, um, we remember him from Colonel Blake on MASH, um, but he sounded a lot like Matt Lauer uh, <laughs> when, when I was reading the book. Hmm, interesting comparison. Well, the desk. Yeah. um, He wasn't the only person at NBC who had a little buzzer under their desk that the door would close. There were a couple of executives who had that at NBC. Yeah. And um, I I don't know if it was always to be uh, a lech. You know, uh-huh. maybe it just really was somebody's on the phone and you want to close the door. But in this case, it was because he was a lech. Yeah. And see, I would have, I, I, you know, it was everything that's happening now in the Me Too movement. And this is actually before that, before any of that. You uh, you really had no place to go when well, somebody this did is, that. This was the weird thing is sometimes you hear these stories about women in the Me Too movement. And you think like, oh, well, she was stupid for doing that. And uh, I would never put myself in that position. Mm-hmm. But um, as you'll read in the book, I had a, quote, friendship with McLean. And it had been very clear from the outset that it was going to be nothing more than a friendship. Mind you, it was a funny friendship. And um, I would go to the taping of his shows and watch the rehearsals. And I really wanted to be a writer. And I thought that this would be a good career opportunity that, you know, maybe my friend McLean 
would be able to, you know, put in a good word for me. Um, so as, as pages at NBC, if somebody says, hey, so-and-so, you go to so-and-so's office, go do such and such, whatever. So um, I got one of the pages told me, um, McLean wants to see you go to his office. So I'm thinking, you know, hot diggity dog, this is my chance. You know, he's going to ask me a pagey kind of question, but I'll say, hey, I got some ideas for your comedy show. And and I and I had a little slip of paper in my pocket and I was ready to go with it. And um, we chatted a bit, exchanged some pleasantries. And all of a sudden he hit that little button underneath the desk. Now, most women, I imagine, would have become indignant mm -hmm. or gone to the door and jiggled the handle immediately and pounded on the door to get out. I broke out laughing. <laughs> I couldn't get over the fact that here I was this little sawed off girl, not a sex symbol. I mean, you're looking at me now. It's not much different than it was 40 years ago. The fact that this guy and I was joking with him and I said, oh, my God, yeah, this is like a Doris Day movie. And you used to be on the Doris Day show and you're a masher and you're on mash. And I just <laughs> all of these thoughts were going through my head and I'm laughing. He didn't think it was funny. No. And, um, <laughs> he made a pretty serious move on me and. um the only thing I could think of at the time was I've got to do something to scare him as much as he's scaring me right now. And um, I had said to him, and I'm in a little bit more graphic language than I'll say to you now. Uh, I said, listen, we could have sex right now and I'd be the best you ever had, but I'm due down at the Tonight Show in 15 minutes. And when they wonder why I'm late and I'm going to say, oh, well, I was upstairs getting busy with McLean Stevenson. Or you could climb off me right now and we'll pretend this never happened. And there was a beat. Got up. Went over to the door, opened the door. My dignity, I left and walked down. I ran down the stairs and I was shaking. I was so... <laughs> you know, and, and, and the people down at the tonight show, my, my colleagues saw that I was upset and they said, what happened? And I said, well, McLean put some pretty serious moves on me and I, I need to compose myself. He goes, Oh, he does that to all the girls. He followed Sandy down to the, the locker rooms. And I'm thinking, well, Sandy, I am jealous of you, Sandy. And they're like, why am I, <laughs> wait a minute, why am I jealous of her? He's, he's a lech. No, no. And, and it, it, it took me a while to process all of this because although it was my intention to remain professional the entire time, it was never his intention. Exactly. I mean, I was walking right into a situation that I had no idea that that could even occur in a professional environment. See, that's what that's what I was thinking. That with Matt Lauer, he also had the buzzer on his desk, which would close, and then he would try to take, from what I've heard, try to take advantage of the females who, whom he locked in his office. But um, that's where I was drawing the comparison at Chuck Berry. Well, I was I was oh. I was okay from that physically. Nothing happened. Um, emotionally, it took me a little bit of time. And even when all the Me Too stuff came out, it 
was, oh, that's right. I did feel scared. I did feel threatened, but I got out of it, thankfully. You know, it, there are nice people. Like uh, Joan Rivers seemed to be like a nice person. She um, could be. She could be. Yeah, she could be very gregarious and very generous. And then sometimes not, which I imagine she had a lot on her mind. She was a businesswoman trying to make it in this business. Um, I have, I have lovely things to think about Joan, but I also have a lot of head scratching about Joan Rivers also. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I still puzzle why, what happened between her and the Tonight Show. Uh, and he, I don't want to go into detail because it was a great story in the book about the whole list. Now, the well-known story is that there was a list of possible replacements for Johnny Carson. And the list did exist. It did exist. Okay. And nobody, nobody at the Tonight Show knew about it. And Johnny was far from retiring. So there was no reason for this list, which, by the way, did not include Leno or Letterman's name. This was just a list of David Brenner, I think at the time was one of the names, um, you know, some of the popular comics at the time. But um, it was speculated that this was something orchestrated by Joan's husband so that he could executive produce a TV show for her. And why, oh, why, oh, why didn't Joan just call Johnny personally? I don't know. And I'm saying personally before she struck a deal at Fox. Right. Because um, Johnny really liked Joan and mentored her and protected her. And it was also good, Joan being the permanent co-host on Monday nights, because she do she drew a slightly different crowd than Johnny. So it kind of upped the ratings and maybe some of that would spill into Johnny's crowd. Um, but also she started to get a little uh, reckless, I would say. And she was asked to tone it down by the Tonight Show. Uh, and she was like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I think that some of that rebellious spirit eventually turned out to be her undoing with the Tonight Show. And you got speaking of the Tonight Show now. You on the cover of your book, you've got that's you behind Johnny Carson, isn't it? Oh yeah, the woman behind the man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, you you've seen the cover of the book with the earrings I'm wearing right now. Those are the same earrings. Are they really? Yes, oh I can gosh. still fit into them all these years later. <laughs> <laughs> you've done that great ear ear exercises, haven't you? <laughs> okay. Absolutely, the Jane Fonda ear exercises worked wonderfully. <laughs> let's talk about a guy named jake um yeah, you mentioned <laughs> only by the name of jake in the book whom whom you had a you had a, a what do you call it, a fling it was Relation. good it was good <laughs> <laughs> it was more than a fling it was good <laughs> it was good um it was um First of all, we call him Jake. We meaning the royal we. Uh -huh. um, because um, two reasons. One, I needed to find a name for this person that none of my friends would guess. 
and um, I was watching a State Farm commercial. Oh no, Jake from State Farm. <laughs> Jake, I like that name. It's, it's a friendly and it's appealing name, and and I thought, okay, Jake, I like. So that's how the gin name Jake came about. Uh, and, and if anyone okay. listening from State Farm, um, yes, <laughs> give me a discount on a policy. Um, uh, but uh, uh, I, I began dating this guy and I just thought it would be a fling and it was really turning into something nice. And it was also at a time when it was, it was, it was pre a lot of social diseases and it was kind of okay just to go out and have fun. And um, I was, I took my feminist studies classes at Cal state Northridge and I was I was going out there. I was being everything I could be. You know, I was a little bit Marlo Thomas, a little Mary Richards character yeah. on the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's what I was. And it ended horribly. <laughs> but kind of funny along the way and kind of sexy along the way. But um, man, and there's a lesson for all women any, anybody that enters into a relationship, whether it's same sex relationships or male, female, there's a lesson to be learned in that chapter. Oh, wow. I tell you, and, but I tell you what you, uh, I got to ask about Chuck Barris because I've heard the story oh, wow. about him. Is he, was he a CIA agent? Um, I, I know that he, he promoted that, um, he supposedly killed 33 people as a CIA assassin. And well, you lose count after a while. I don't know. After if that's a while. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate or not. One, one is a crime. A lot is a, is a career, is a, a career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of the line from the old movie line. Uh, Masur, Masur Verdu, the old Charles Chaplin movie where he says like one, one murder makes a villain, but I'll, a lot make a hero or something like that, you know, but, um, but how make- cool, how cool is it that you're asking this question all these years later and Chuck is now gone yeah, and, um, and people still want to know that's fabulous. If you had to meet somebody again, well, Oh, before I get there, I'm sorry. I skipped over a question. Let's talk about Bill Cosby. Now, I'm, I'm very lucky I never encountered him. Um, yeah. That was some of the people I worked with. Because so, some of the stories in the book are, are of my of my page colleagues, too. They're not all my stories. Right, right. And that's and, and um, what, not getting into too much detail because it, it, you do get into detail in the book. But what what I discovered in in, um, in 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 putting the book together, it just started off with kind of the stories of there's about 12 of us that are still really, really close friends. And we've heard each other's stories countless times. But when the pandemic hit and we had access to Zoom, we started finding our friends again. Yeah. And we started comparing stories like the Donald Trump story in the book, um, because I had the first part of the story and somebody else had the second part of the story. Um, spoiler alert, it doesn't come out well for Donald. Um, <laughs> and once this started happening, like the Cosby story, 
several people had Cosby stories. And it wasn't just the pages, but even the Tonight Show staff themselves got to the point where they weren't sending women to his dressing room to to be a liaison between the production company and Mr. Cosby. And then they weren't sending men either. <laughs> they weren't <laughs> sending anybody. Wow. So, um, so this was a problem for a long time. And um, I, I never encountered Mr. Cosby personally. Oh. If you like all the stories, all the people that you've met and all the, all the stories that you've heard, if you had the chance to go back in time to do one thing over again, what would it be? Wow. I think that night at the Emmy Awards that I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. I mean, that was, um, it was kind of like Madame Tussauds Wax Museum come alive. <laughs> and I found myself um, in a very special place meeting practically every icon I'd ever dreamed of. I mean, starting with Sid Caesar and Emma Jean Coca. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm somebody who writes comedy. I perform comedy. I I had a great reverence for her specifically because she was funny and she was she would fall down funny. She was she was just precious and and just just everything I wanted her to be. And the night started off with the, with she and Sid and ended with Alfred Hitchcock. And I took Polaroid pictures in my brain of every moment of that night because I thought, you know, it doesn't get much better than this. And it, it has gotten better at times, but as an overall evening, that was that was wonderful. That's incredible. I really, I mean, and there's a lot of time I found, my, found myself envying you when I was reading the book because I was like, oh, I would love to have met this person or that person or whatever. But I'm so glad you've written about it. The author's name is Shelley Herman, and the book published by Bear Manor Media is My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. You can find it on Amazon, also at bearmanormedia.com. Shelly, thank you again for being on Lights, Camera, Author tonight. This was fun.